0: In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I'm going to continue what I started talking about yesterday, and that is the importance of farming. Not only do we not have food without farmers and ranchers, but we don't have a republic. We don't even have freedom. Why do I say that? It goes all the way back not only to our founding fathers but to cicero and plato and the greeks i'm dr ever piper and this is the rebellion good morning and welcome to the rebellion thank you so much for listening into this show today i'm going to continue the discussion that i started yesterday with regard to the importance of farmers and farming and ranching i shared with you yesterday this story that's coming out of sri lanka Where the elitists, the oligarchs, the smart folks in Sri Lanka actually decided that they were going to essentially impose upon the entire population, all of the citizens, 22 million people in Sri Lanka, that's the total population, 15 million of which are farmers and the smart guys. In Sri Lanka, the government officials, you know, those folks like AOC and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And unfortunately, even some of the Republicans that are Republican in name only. Oh, they're not red state folks. They're purple state folks at best because they tell you stuff to get elected. And then when they get in office, they start acting like they're smarter than you. They start acting like elitists. They want to be part of the popular club with AOC and with Schumer and Pelosi. They'd rather be liked by them than respected by you. So they start imposing policies, laws, upon the population, the people that elected them, that are antithetical to, opposite to the promises and the values that they said they believed in when they ran for office. Then they start... Building buildings that they don't have money for. Imposing laws on people to restrict their freedom and restrict their liberties. And that's what's happening in Sri Lanka right now. And if it's happening in Sri Lanka, you might want to stop and think about how long is it going to take for it to happen here? Are we next? When you see the Dutch farmers being told that they have to start killing some of their cattle because their cattle produce too much methane gas and their cattle are contributing to global warming and climate change. There's no evidence that would support that. If you want to follow the science, you really want to go check and see if cow flatulence actually produces global warming? If that's the case, why are these people so big on going back to the good old days where we had millions and millions and millions of buffalo roaming the Great Plains? Do you think maybe their flatulence? was a little bit more than what you're getting out of the cattle that are now on those same Great Plains. I mean, this is the kind of nonsense that we have to deal with when we're talking about progressive ideology. So on today's show, I want to talk about the farming tradition, the ranching tradition. And as I said in the introduction, without it, you don't have food, and that's a problem, but you also don't have freedom and I'm going to explain to you why. You can go back to even the early Roman Republic, and they argued, Cicero, Plato, and whatnot, they argued that without the small farmer, the small rancher, there would be no freedom. Without the farm, there's no freedom. And this tradition, this idea of farming and freedom, private property if you want to have personal liberty. This tradition of tying our freedom to the fact that it's under your vine and under your fig tree that you shall sit and thereby not be afraid. As you know, if you've listened to me in earlier shows, that's a paraphrase of the prophet Micah, chapter 4, verse 4 one of George Washington's favorite verses that he cited over 50 times in his correspondence with his fellow founding fathers, the framers, the founders of our constitutional republic. Now, why did he think that was so important? Well, it's tied into this idea of farming and freedom. Private property equals personal liberty. And without that, what are you going to get? You're going to get a country... That is not governed by a constitution, but one that is taken over by big brother, the despots, the smart folks like this prime minister of Sri Lanka that's had to flee the nation right now and now is in exile in the Maldives. Because he's tried to tell all these people that you can't farm your property any longer unless you do it the way I tell you to. And he's made certain fertilizers illegal. He's complied with AOC's Green New Deal, essentially, and imposed it legally upon the entire nation. And as the result, their farms are failing. Food production has plummeted. Inflation has skyrocketed. People don't have enough to eat, and they're angry. And they're asking for their freedom back. Oh, they're not asking. That's a misstatement on my part. They're demanding their freedom. But they won't get it unless they understand the ideas, the soil, if you will, out of which freedom grows. So I want to talk about that a little bit further today on today's show. I want to honor Oklahoma ranchers and Oklahoma farmers as well as those in Kansas and Texas and Arkansas and across the nation, Nebraska, the Dakotas, the Great Plains tradition, the heartland folks, you know, those of us that Hillary Clinton calls a basket of deplorables, those that the media laugh at and mock when they say that we're rubes. (laughs) Those folks out there in Oklahoma and Kansas, those rubes, you've seen it. Don Lemon and others, mocking us and laughing at us. And then you've got Michael Bloomberg, who wanted to be the president of the United States, who's telling, who told people when he was the mayor of New York what size soft drink they could drink. I'm serious. He actually had laws on the size of the soft drink you could drink. They're trying to govern your life, lives. Trying to control you down to the point where you can only have a certain size, Coca-Cola or Mountain Dew or Dr. Pepper. Is this the kind of life you want? Well, Michael Bloomberg is also the one that smirked and said just before he announced his candidacy for the presidency of the United States. He smirked and said, well, back in the old days, the economy was based on farming where you just dug a hole in the ground and dropped a seed in it, and then covered it up with dirt and put a little water there. And, you know, you didn't need that much, quote-unquote, gray matter to do that. But today we have a different economy. Now, what is he saying? It's those dumb folks. It's those stupid rubes, those deplorables that dig a hole in the ground and drop a seed in it. But we're smarter today. We have a different type of economy. Does this bother you? Now, today, the the majority of people listening to me right now are not farmers. You go to the grocery store and you buy your food. It's wrapped in cellophane, cellophane, and we don't stop to think about where it comes from. That's important, but you also don't recognize how your freedom is tied to this whole idea, this way of life. I'm Dr. Herbert Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, excuse me, let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So, in the rest of the show, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson on what's called the Georgic, the Georgic philosophy. What's Georgic? Well, Georgic is an agricultural or rural poem or way of life or way of thinking. It's from that you get words like Georgia, the state of Georgia. This is a reference to farming. And why is that important? Well, the Georgic tradition goes back to the Greek classics. You have the Hesiod, and then you have Virgil, and you have other Greek classics authors, these these statesmen that wrote about a way of living and a way of life in their poetry and their prose. If you go all the way back to these Greek classics, which were very important to our founding fathers, I want you to remember that. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, John Adams, James Madison, these people, Alexander Hamilton, these people that helped craft our Constitution, our, our government, our, our way of living in the United States, a document upon which we would build the freest nation in the history of the world. One that isn't perfect. No, it's not the Bible. It's not the inerrant word of God. But it was put together by some wise men that actually understood not only the word of God, but a way of living that was grounded in the classics. They went back and studied the lessons of history. I've said over and over again, I quote it often, the words of George Santayana, the philosopher, who said, he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. Well, our founding fathers understood that, and they understood that if we didn't go back and read and understand what took place before us, for good and for ill, we would not have the freedom that we wanted to have in the United States. Now, some listening right now would say, yeah, but these guys were obviously not all that great because they owned slaves. Yes, that's true. Some of them did. But, and you need to understand this, they also understood, by and large, almost everyone two of them, to a person, understood that that needed to be abandoned. They, they owned slaves, but all of them, or at least nearly all of them, understood that this This issue of slavery needed to be done away with. And it could be, that could be accomplished either in one fell swoop or it could be accomplished by building a nation upon a document that said all men are created equal. And they recognized that as the result of ratifying that document, that it would set the stage for the elimination of slavery, and the elevation of all human beings as being equal in the eyes of God. And therefore, all human beings, all people, all men and women in the United States would be able to work toward the ultimate equality in being free. Free in this land of the free, in the home of the brave, essentially, in the United States of America. Now, the 1619 Project and other progressive histories that are being peddled right now by the progressive left would argue against this and say, oh, these are terrible human beings because they, they weren't perfect. What you need to understand is they recognized their lack of perfection. They recognized that the United States was not a utopia. They recognized that things needed to change and that the best way to change those things wasn't through massive bloodshed like the French Revolution where they would cut off people's heads and celebrate at the execution of thousands upon thousands in the public square because they weren't complying with the edicts of men like Robespierre, who declared themselves to be gods, literally. And if you don't comply with what we say, we will cut off your head. No, our founding fathers recognized that some things could change immediately, and that was the Declaration of Independence, that we would no longer be subjugated to the King of England, and that we would be an independent nation that would then be built upon time-tested truths that would give the people of this new nation the opportunity to grow toward the maximum amount of human freedom ever realized in the course of human history. So when we talk about the fact that these broken men, they weren't perfect, our founding fathers, created this constitutional government which has worked to create the soil, to cultivate the soil of freedom out of, which, out of which civil liberties have grown for everyone. We need to recognize that that was their philosophy. And there were those during the Constitutional Convention. There were those during the founding era of our nation who believed that the abolition of slavery should have taken place immediately. But there were also those who believed in the abolition of slavery, but recognized that one of the other ways to accomplish it was to treat the people under their charge, whether they were free or whether they were not, with dignity, with dignity, recognizing that a more gradual step-by-step process toward abolition and equality, and freedom for all, would result in less immediate bloodshed and would also provide for the unity of the United States rather than the creation of two different countries and the division, the division of those people that they were trying to bring together under common cause for a common good. And that was the creation of this new constitutional republic called the United States of America. So There's a different way of looking at this. There's a different way of seeing. There's a different way, a different worldview, if you will. And the worldview that has been taught in our schools for nearly 200 years was that we need to elevate the ideas of these men, recognizing that, yes, we're all sinners, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we claim to be without sin... The truth is not in us. We're denying the reality. And our founding fathers understood that. Thomas Jefferson understood that. Benjamin Franklin understood that. Don't tell me that they were deists and didn't believe what I just declared. They understood the brokenness of man. That's why James Madison, when he crafted the Constitution, the father of our Constitution, that's why he believed in the separation of powers, which is now being challenged by the elitist. I shared with you the other day that 50... 3% of Democrats believe in the abolition of the Supreme Court of the United States. The judicial branch, the third branch of, the, of our government, legislative, executive, and judicial, they believe we should abolish. Abolish. 53% of Democrats don't believe in the separation of powers is essentially what this means. And you know why? Because their worldview elevates men and women to perfection. And if we just get the perfect people in office, we can do away with all this constitutional separation of church and, excuse me, separation of power stuff. We can do away with that because we'll have smart folks like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez in office telling us how to live our lives. Well, the problem is, those smart folks (laughs) are going to start telling you how to plant food because we want to save the planet, you know. We're, we want to do that. We're going to tell you how to plant food, and we're going to tell you that chemical fertilizers can't be used any longer and pesticides can't be used any longer because we want to go 100% organic, which is exactly what the prime minister in Sri Lanka did to his country, and he put them in poverty. He put them in mass starvation, really, because they don't have enough food right now. They don't have enough food. Okay, in the last few minutes of the show, I want to talk to you about the importance of farming and why it is tied into, tied into our freedom and why it's this soil out of which our freedom grows. And I'm going to use an essay written in a book, Vital Remnants, America's Founding in the Western Tradition. It's edited by Gary Gregg, and it's published by ISI Books. Here's one of the things that Gary Gregg says, or at least, no, no, that's not right, uh, because it's a collection of essays, uh, various different chapters written by various different authors. Let me cite the author for this particular essay. Under this uh, under this one cover, this one title, this, this particular essay is titled The Founders as Farmers, the Greek Georgic Tradition. Again, Georgic is the... Egg, Agricultural way of living, if you will. Okay, the poetry, the prose of agricultural living, the Georgic tradition. So, this essay is written by Bruce Thornton and it's titled Founders as Farmers The Greek Georgic Tradition and the Founders. Okay, he goes through and he sets the stage by talking about the Greeks and Romans and how they influenced America's founders. And he reminds us and I'm going to read directly from his essay right now, that the fact is 18th century Americans were steeped in the language, ideas, texts, speeches, people, and history of the Greeks, Okay, particularly as these were refracted through the Roman lens. So he's making the point that the Greek and Roman classics were well-known, well-known by almost all Americans that were literate at the time because that's what they read. And why is that important? Well, according to Carl Richards, who, who Thornton is quoting right now, the classic suppo- supplied, excuse me, the classic supplied mixed government theory, the principal basis for the United States Constitution, mixed government theory, the separation of powers, legislative, executive, and judicial branches, to control what the hubris of man. All right, to control what was innate in humanity, and that was brokenness and sin, to use biblical language. The founders understood that because even the classics referred to that. The classics supplied, again, mixed government theory, the principal basis for the United States Constitution. The classics contributed a great deal to the founders' conception of human nature, their understanding of the nature and purposes of virtue. In short, the classics supplied a large portion of the founders' intellectual tools. The history of the Greeks' political failures provided the founders with the monetary lessons, a cautionary tale, says Russell Kirk, of class conflict and disunity and in, in, internecine violence, of private and public arrogance and selfishness and vainglory and civic Collapse and what to shun. Close quote. That's from Russell Kirk. So, what's the point here? The founders understood what worked and didn't work. They were paying attention to what George Santayana said learn the lessons of history. Good ones, repeat them. Bad ones, don't. Because if you don't learn the lessons of history, you're doomed to repeat the failures. The founders understood that and thus their fascination with. The Greek and Roman classics. Does that make sense to you? Well, why is that important when it comes to this discussion of farming? Because the Greeks and Romans grounded their freedom in the farm. They understood the lessons that were taught as the result of working the land, hard work, personal integrity, autonomy, Being responsible for what it is that you're going to grow, you're going to eat, you're going to have for your family, and then maybe produce enough so that you can help your neighbor during times of drought and famine. The founders understood this. They understood what Micah 4.4 was talking about, that every man shall sit under his own vine and his own fig tree and shall not be afraid. You're not going to be afraid of the prime minister of Sri Lanka. If you own your own property, if you have your own fig tree and you have your own vine, you can sit on your property behind your gate down your driveway And you can take ownership and responsibility for growing food on your property the way that you know is best because you've taken responsibility for doing that. And the government, the king, the prime minister, the president, the congress, the house of representatives, your local mayor, or or your county commissioner, they're not going to come in and tell you to do it differently. That's the premise upon which our country is built. And does it sound a little different today? Well, one of the reasons that it's different is we've, we've set aside the importance of farming because we all live in suburbia now, or we live in the city. Very few of us, very, very few of us as a percentage of our population actually go out and get our hands dirty by doing something that actually produces that food that you're eating when you go to Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or Wendy's or your favorite steakhouse. We go there and we have it presented to us either in cellophane wrap at the grocery store like Walmart or when we do go to the fast food restaurant or even a higher end establishment, it's presented to us on a plate. And we don't stop and think about what it took to get that food to the plate so that we could enjoy it. We used to do a project up in Michigan when I was vice president up there at a different university. Every year, we would require all of our incoming freshmen to spend three days with us at a, at a farm. We'd, we'd take them to a farm in, in the um, northern part of Michigan, and it was a very rustic farm. It was a farm that was intentionally built and preserved to reflect the late 1800s, early 1900s way of living. It, it, it had a manor house. It had a blacksmith shop. It had draft horses. It, 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 it had a weaver's mill. And our students had to live on the farm and basically live the way their grandma and grandpa lived or their great grandpa and grandma lived. If you wanted the house to have heat, you had to chop wood and put it in the wood-burning stove or the fireplace. If you wanted to cook your meal in the kitchen, it was a wood-burning oven and stove. And you didn't get any food if you didn't do the work necessary to get that oven and stove heated up if you wanted chicken then you had to go out into the chicken coop and grab the birds and bring enough in for the entire group of people to eat we actually had somebody that taught these kids how to kill the chicken and clean the chicken and prepare it for the meal okay what was the point of doing all of this if you wanted if you wanted to 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 use the horses for whatever purpose If you wanted to have something to wear, you had to weave it. If you wanted horses, you had to have a blacksmith shop to make sure their feet were well cared for. If you wanted to have a field that was tilled and plowed, you had to have these draft horses to do so. And therefore, you had to clean the stalls and you had to do all the work necessary that that was part of this process. Why did we do all this? Because we wanted our students to understand that, you know, that fast food restaurant we hit on the way up here, the food came from somewhere. The lettuce on that hamburger came from somewhere. The meat on that hamburger had to, it's there because somebody had to kill a cow and slaughter it and produce that that meat for you. And if you had chicken nuggets or Chick-fil-A sandwich, you know, you had to kill a bird and you had to clean it. You had to skin it and clean it, pluck it in order to get it where it is right now. It didn't come wrapped in cellophane. Our point was that. And as the result of that, the kids recognized that their personal liberties and freedom to even enjoy food was grounded in the farm. We can talk about this more, but the point is this. We need to honor that personal freedom that comes with private property. We need to recognize that the farm and freedom go hand in hand. It goes all the way back to Virgil, the Hesiod, Cicero, Plato, It goes back to James Madison, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.